Welcome to Force Multiplier, a new podcast about leveling up the impact we can have on the world through our relationships. I'm Baritone Day Thurston, and in collaboration with iHeartRadio and Salesforce.org, I sit with leaders from across the public, private, and nonprofit world who are forging partnerships to tackle some of the toughest challenges facing us today. Welcome back to Force Multiplier. I'm your host, Baratunde, and you are the force that multiplies. We're going to be talking today about workforce development and the face of unemployment in America. You know, we have still a challenge of employment in this country, and the people bearing the brunt of it are low-wage workers and marginalized communities who have been walloped by the pandemic both in an epidemiological sense as well as in an economic sense. And we have this mismatch because there are millions of jobs listed that aren't filled, and there are millions of people looking for work. But we have this growing skills gap, this mismatch between the skills that workers have and those that employers want. And the pandemic accentuated and accelerated this. We've seen a growth of remote work in our economy, a growth of automation, and a continuation of the effects of globalization. All this can be managed, can be mitigated when folks have access to education and certification and workforce development options. Economies are always changing. That's what they do. We as humans change. But we have to make sure our institutions, and especially those that provide dignity and livelihood, keep pace with those changes. Now, technology plays an interesting role in this, right? Because technology has contributed to some of this unemployment. It has contributed certainly to some of this skills gap as the marketplace. The What is required of people who work is different from what many of us are capable of. But technology can also be a part of the solution. And we have seen the growth of certain job sectors because of technology helping us solve a need, whether it's a climate need through green collar jobs or a COVID need through more healthcare jobs or a technology need through more tech jobs. And the way we deliver on how we grow and adapt our workforce can benefit from technology itself through innovative training, through upskilling, through education programs, whether they come from educators, employers, nonprofits, civic leaders, or somebody else just trying to do a solid to society. So why do I care? I want to take you back to 1995. I am 17 going on 18 years old. I'm a first year student at Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I am a technophile. I mean, I showed up with not a real good television or stereo, but my computer was dope. I have always been the person that friends turn to to help them figure out something with their computer. In fact, that's partly how I paid for college, just fixing people's computers. So I found this community service opportunity to teach computer skills to folks who had a whole different level of technology literacy. And we worked out in a Section 8 housing project on the outskirts of Cambridge. Neighborhood is Alewife for anybody who knows the region. And in the basement of this high-rise building, I would teach classes to folks who were definitely low income and often first generation. They moved to this country for better opportunity. And we schooled them on on Microsoft Word and how file systems worked and Windows and even DOS because I'm old. 
And it was a very satisfying feeling for me because I like teaching and I like when people get ideas and I like feeling like I could use my skills for something other than binging internet content that I could use it to help folks. But then I saw the light bulb go off and I saw people able to get jobs and able to upgrade not just their skills, but their ability to provide for their families, which for so many of them is why they came here in the first place. So I have a taste of what this can feel like when it works. I have a taste of the hunger so many people have to work, but sometimes the frustration when the skills you have don't match what an employer wants. So we're going to talk to two people in this episode who do what I was trying to do as a college first year student, but in the current context, which is way more complicated and more fascinating and in many ways more challenging. First, I sit with Ani Crawley, Chief Marketing Officer of Goodwill. I'm trying to understand with Ani how one of the most recognizable community organizations is leading efforts to close the community gap through things I didn't even know they were up to, like upskilling millions of Americans and helping them get back into the workforce. We also hear from Dr. Sue Elsperman. She's the president of Ivy Tech Community College, which is the largest contributor to the Indiana workforce in the entire state. And with so many jobs coming from local economic needs, Sue shares how Ivy Tech builds programs to train students of any age to meet those demands first. I hope you enjoy, and I'll see you on the other side. So let's say I'm looking for a job and somebody else is also looking for a job, but they have other things that they have to take into account, like the fact that maybe they don't have a car or the fact that they don't have consistent broadband. But I have all those things. So for me, it's not a problem. I just got to find the employer I like and try to get an interview and go. So how do we solve for the things that put them behind the starting line, so to speak, so that that way they can equitably, competitively compete for a job? Ani Crawley has been the chief marketing officer of Goodwill for just over six months, which is a departure from the traditional marketing roles she has built a successful career around for so many years before this. She's pivoted like so many organizations have had to, and she's facing a new challenge now, one that she is excited about to help reshape one of the country's largest nonprofit organizations. Hi, how are you? I'm doing really, really well. Thank you so much for having me on today. You are so welcome. And thank you for spending some time with me. <laughs> well, I think you know why we're here, but we're doing this podcast, Force Multiplier. I want to talk about Goodwill. I want to talk about collaboration. I want to talk about you. And I want to start with Goodwill, which many people know for many different reasons. I know it as a thrift store, mostly, and a place of donations. What is Goodwill? Who does Goodwill serve? And how does Goodwill do that? Goodwill serves so many people, and it's all of those things that you mentioned. It is a nonprofit. It's a retail chain. It's a skills training center. It's all of those things. We serve thrifters, people who love to thrift and buy secondhand. We serve those who are looking for new jobs, those who are looking to advance themselves in their careers, those who want to donate and just unload stuff that they don't want in their homes anymore, people who want to help and do good and who want to fund. So we have so many different audiences and, you know, what's interesting is that most people know us only for our stores and our donation centers. And because of that, people think, oh, yeah, Goodwill, it's like this big for-profit company. But we're not. When you step back, 
we're really in the business of helping people and helping the planet. For people, it's all about self-empowerment and living life on your terms. And for the planet, it's about doing our part to keep usable goods out of landfills. Yeah, I think that's a good way to unify what it is, you know, helping the planet, helping people. So much of what your work is, I see as interacting with American workers and the organization has been around for so long. What has the organization learned about America's workers and what they need? Wow. You know, I, I, it's, so we're in a, certainly in a time and I know we'll talk about that, but I think there's just an ongoing evolution, right? Nothing is ever static. And so that's why when we talk about what we offer to people, it's not just about getting people into jobs. It's also people who already have jobs, but want to go further or do more or go in a different direction. So it's almost like Goodwill, they sort of enable this journey. It's this brand that's an ongoing support of individual growth and evolution. Maybe you're moving or redesigning your home and we give you a place to shed all the things you don't want anymore. You shop our stores and that's kind of a part of enabling your personal self-expression. You utilize our skills training and job support services to advance your career, find a new career. So I think what we've learned is that people are always evolving and we want to be able to be that support to enable the evolution that they're looking for. I have this image of a complex organization. How is Goodwill able to be so many things to so many people? I would imagine that the organization, which is, by the way, almost 120 years old, never set out to say, I want to be all these different things to all these people in this way. I think the fundamental thing that Edgar Helms, who started the company, wanted to do when he started out at Boston was he wanted to just give everybody an equitable chance. And he saw an opportunity to take things that those who were more privileged no longer needed and use that to create resources to give to people who needed more and enable them to sort of step up. One thing I really love about Goodwill is that the philosophy really is about teaching a man how to fish so that he can eat for a lifetime rather than sort of fish for a day. And so I think just over time, and as we've built out the Federation, which is made up of 156 different memberships, these members have looked at their local communities and said, what do they need here? So something that a Goodwill might need in Michigan might be different from what a Goodwill needs in Texas. And so what's unique about this organization is we work to really understand the specific needs in the town where you live and address those needs. And I think through that, that's how you've seen sort of this expansion of services that we offer throughout the company. I respect that a ton. And I think we have a lot of blanket band-aids we try to apply with no knowledge on the ground. So having grounded local knowledge seems like a huge differentiator for an organization like Goodwill. Oh, yeah. You use the word equity. And it makes me think of the opportunity gap, especially in terms of employment. What is involved in creating that gap in this country? More to the point, how are you working to help close it? I think a lot of it stems from the fact that just fundamentally, we are in a digital world today. There was a report last year, I think, by the Aspen Institute. And according to that report, I think 32 million Americans don't know how to use a computer. And half of Americans are not comfortable learning online. So there's definitely a need to build more digital competence so that tomorrow people are not getting locked out of even the most basic jobs. People have this idea that it's things like, you know, automation and AI and all this disruption that's going to take away jobs. The reality is that rather than jobs disappearing, the jobs are really changing. 
And a lot of workers are going to need digital upskilling to keep up with those and be prepared for those opportunities. Jobs that previously needed unskilled workers or were fine with unskilled workers, 20% of those jobs are now going to need skilled workers. So it's showing the need for even some of the most basic roles to require some sort of digital proficiency. So with that understanding that we have this sort of workforce development challenge around digital and technological skills, where does goodwill come in? How do you work in all of these communities across your federation to help provide people those skills? I would say it's twofold. One is that we are trying to set up a learning management platform that will enable people to come in and get the digital skills and any kind of upskilling really that they need to get into the jobs that they want. We're also galvanizing other organizations to join us and provide services that will allow people to get the free skilling that they need so that they can get into different jobs. So it's really kind of this whole one plus one equals three. I want that math. I want that one plus one equals three math. (laughs) Put my stocks in that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk about the Rising Together Coalition. There are many players, many different types of players coming together some of the largest employers in the country, some of them with some very progressive policies internally or externally, working with Goodwill to uh, help boost this economic recovery and make sure it works for everybody, not just having that K-shape we hear so much about in the news. So talk to me about Rising Together. What is it? Who's involved? Yes, Rising Together. At the most fundamental level, it's a commitment by the Goodwill brand to help America get back on its way to economic recovery. That's what it is. And we know we can't do it alone, which is why we formed a coalition to do that. The brainchild of that was because we looked at what was happening with the pandemic. You know, nationwide, pandemic-related job loss has disproportionately affected people of color, women, and those without higher degrees. And we knew that to recover with an inclusive economic infrastructure that gives everyone equitable opportunity, we needed something that was going to provide the right support in the right place at the right time. And so we came together with other Fortune 50 companies specifically for the purpose of providing those who are not unemployed right now with the support and resources they need. We started with five companies, but the idea is that we start with those five. And as we continue to sort of message what we're doing with this and get more communication out there about what Rising Together is, that companies, we get more companies to get on the train and join us in this journey. So in a basketball metaphor, who, who's your starting five? <laughs> my, my starting team. So we kicked off the launch in May with Google, Coursera, Indeed, Lyft, and the Anthem Foundation. All are bringing very unique supports to the Rising Together structure. All right. So I I, I want like ESPN graphics, <laughs> right? I'm going to hit you with a player and then you're going to tell me what they're bringing to the team. Right? <laughs> Indeed. What do they have for the coalition? Indeed. Oh, they're, they're all about it. They're elevating all of their job search services to ensure people have the right skills for the changing labor market. So they're actually tweaking the way they're offering services so it addresses exactly the needs people have today when looking for a job. All right, Google, big company, big player, bringing a lot to the court. What's Google offering to this coalition? Huge, huge. So they're delivering all of our digital skills. And more than just the digital skills, they're giving us the opportunity to provide certification. So they're offering digital skills certification for specific jobs that actually are a pipeline into roles within their organization. And that certification, I can imagine, is uh, very valuable. It also doesn't require like four years of a bachelor's degree. That is the beauty of it. And I think Google is one employer that really understands that there is a dire need to hire for skills and not just for degrees. 
All right, Lyft is on the court now. Lyft, we know of them as kind of this agile player. They move around a lot. What is Lyft bringing? They have a program called the Jobs Access Program that allows people to get free rides to interviews or to jobs. And they're expanding that program now so that more people can take advantage of the free services that they offer. And finally, uh, let's do as a quick pair, Anthem and Coursera. Very different players. What are each of them bringing? Yes. So Anthem Foundation, so, you know, they're all about healthcare, obviously. So they're launching a healthcare training path that becomes a direct pipeline leading to credentials, job placement, higher wages, more benefits. So we love them for that. Coursera, they're providing free online courses specifically targeted at youth, veterans, military families, and people who've been impacted by the criminal justice system all to help them identify, again, what their ideal career paths are and help them secure jobs. So the way you've described the nature of the program, everyone who signed up here is committed to America's economic recovery. But from the perspective of the human who is trying to take advantage of this service, what's their experience with the Rising Together Coalition and how might it be a bit different than, say, two years ago? Yeah, I think the biggest difference is really just sort of the amplification of the different programs. Now, keep in mind, Rising Together, we're talking about it in the media, but it's much more targeted towards funders and corporations. And so just everyday person walking down the street may not hear about Rising Together specifically. What they should notice is that now there seems to be more availability of services, more availability of free services, and more availability of holistic services that address all the different needs that people have when it comes to searching for a job. What's been the most surprising outcome of this partnership so far? I think the thing that's been the most surprising and really pleasantly surprising is how quickly some people have been wanting to come on board. We've been talking to companies and everyone loves the idea. People are like, hey, sign me up. People see what's going on right now with our economy, even just some of the social issues we're dealing with right now. And people are like, I want to be a part of the solution. It feels like it's been a lower hanging fruit situation in terms of getting people to come on board with this or at least support it in some way. So that's been great. Easy sales pitch. Yes. Rise together <laughs> or fall alone. Nobody wants to sign up for falling alone. Ooh, can you join the team? I like that. <laughs> I'm writing that one down. <laughs> it is my gift to the coalition. We will take it. That was good. I'll sign up. That's my asset. <laughs> Words. <laughs> Why do you think it's so important to have this kind of cross-sector partnership to take on the opportunity gap and the workforce development challenge? First of all, I don't think anyone can do it alone. I think it requires different types of expertise and engagement from different company sectors to address all the different needs. Every partner has something that you would consider to be like accretive and impactful to bring to this challenge. And, you know, as more companies join in, that impact just becomes exponential. We call this show for small supplier. Right, we're looking for that leverage, that that extra oomph. Yeah. In the rising together effort so far, what's been the force multiplier? You know, I would like to think that goodwill has been the force multiplier. And uh oh, I know some promotion. <laughs> I mean, I'll say goodwill, but the reason I say goodwill is just because one. We're trying to bring it more to the forefront. Everyone knows what's going on. We're all watching the news. We're seeing, you know, all the headlines. But we're trying to create action more than just discussion. And that's what I think we're trying to do with this Rising Together Coalition. And I think it also puts more of a spotlight on the work. And it also keeps everyone accountable. 
we're basically declaring what we will do. And we're sort of all holding each other accountable to make sure that we get it done. So there you have it. Yes. Goodwill. I said it. Yeah. Goodwill is a force multiplier. You did say it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know a bit more about you, Ani, because uh, we've been talking about career changes and pivots and upskilling. And uh, when I look at your background, you've made some changes. You have a lot of experience in consumer goods, in food, and now you're at this massive very well-established nonprofit. How did your path emerge for you? Yeah, and I probably have a story that many people can relate to in terms of just how things change in your life and how you make pivots and how at the time of the pivot, you're not sure. But when you look back, you're like, wow, that was the right pivot. Before business school, I was actually a microbiologist and then pivoted into business because I didn't want to get a PhD and kind of get into science leadership. I, I wasn't that interested, but became a marketer and then started working for CPG companies and then had my first durables goods assignment working for Sears Holdings, working on the Craftsman brand. And then went from there to work in betting before coming to this role. So very much, you know, for-profit marketing, which I've loved. I had a lot of roles that involved brand revitalization or sort of brand trying to re-energize brands that maybe it started to lag or were having some challenges. So that started to become a thing that I really, really enjoyed as a part of my career. And I would never have seen myself a nonprofit. But the one thing that really stood out for me when I started having conversations was the fact that they were looking to transform the brand. Given its role in workforce development, this is the one brand that should be very relevant across today's cultural zeitgeist. And I don't think we're in as many conversations as we should be right now. I don't think the brand is as elevated as it should be right now, especially given where we are with our economy. And so there's a great opportunity to really elevate that message and really move that mission forward in a much more powerful and impactful way. What advice would you offer someone who's looking at their own career path? They want to have even more of an impact. And uh, they're wondering what else they can be doing. First, I would just say, don't overwhelm yourself. I think people see what's going on. We're all a little bit like, are we living in the twilight zone right now? People want to do something. And people just have this, how do I save the world? How do I save the world? I would say, don't overwhelm yourself with the thoughts of how to save the world. You can start as small as you want. Take stock of the skills that you bring to your job first. Like, what do you do for a living? When you look at that skill set, look around you for where else that skill set can apply where else it can be of value. And a lot of times it's right in your backyard. There's many opportunities right now for people to be helping out right from their home. You have sites like dosomething.org. There's Catch a Fire. So many sites where you can go in and sign up to volunteer for something that's going to help somewhere. There will always be need. And so just open your eyes to what's right around you. This show is so focused on cross-sector partnerships, usually referring to organizations and businesses but I'm wondering in your own career path, in your own life, have others supported you in your career? Have there been people who've been mentors or sources of inspiration you want to share a bit about? So I've had a lot of mentors over the years. And what's so fun about that is I think probably 70% of them didn't even know they were mentoring me. <laughs> <laughs> You're just sneaking wisdom from people? <laughs> oh, it's the best way, let me tell you, because I've never formally asked someone to be my mentor. I've been formally assigned mentors, which has been great too, but I have never personally asked because I feel like when you do that, it puts a formal burden that just can create some anxiety for you, for the mentor, all of that. But I think it's very easy to just say, hey, do you have time? I'd love to go to lunch with you this week if you have time or 
hey, I'm going to chat with you. Do you have 30 minutes next week? And then just, you know, whatever it is you want to learn about or ask about, then you ask. You know, I think a lot of times with mentor-mentee relationships, there's sort of this structured, okay, we meet every two weeks and do this and that. Well, there might be a time where there's not really a lot on your mind. For me, the most value is when I've got something going on and I have a question or a dilemma or a challenge that I need an answer to, then I just reach right out to someone, hey, can I chat with you? And in that time frame, they don't even realize they've mentored me. And they didn't even know it. And it's accidental great. mentors. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so I think I think that's been helpful. As far as other support, I just have to say that my husband has been such a rock star and incredibly supportive about all the things that I want to do in my career. I've really benefited from his ability to really manage our family, you know, his career, helping support me and everything with our kids and all of that. So that's been great. I can't even thank him enough for that. Now that's what I call a cross-sector partnership. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't couldn't help it. Ani Crawley, thank you so much for assessing the skills you have and offering them to this very just cause of making an economic recovery that can work for all. Great to meet you. Great to spend time with you. Thank you. today. thank you so much. It was great to meet you. And thank you again for having me on today. You're listening to a podcast called Force Multiplier, Action Meets Impact. Now, you've probably grown to expect ads inside your podcast, but we're going to do something a little bit different. To walk the walk, we're going to take a quick break and hear from one of the organizations featured in this episode. Be right back. Goodwill makes back-to-school shopping as easy as A, B, C. Art supplies and accessories, backpacks and books, clothing and calculators. Your local Goodwill store has unique, one-of-a-kind items at the right price. When the bell rings, be dressed to impress with stylish selections and fashionable finds. And when you shop at Goodwill, you help create job placement and training programs in your own community. Teachers, head back to class in style. Your local Goodwill store has casual, comfortable clothing and shoes for those long days on your feet. Find everything you need for science projects and arts and crafts activities. Keep your classroom organized with baskets and bins for storage, all at the right price to fit your budget. It's never too late to go back to school. Your local Goodwill has you covered. Earn your GED, high school diploma, or professional certificate. Train for careers in technology, healthcare, hospitality, manufacturing, and other in-demand jobs, all at no cost to you. Goodwill uses the revenue generated from our stores to create job placement and training programs in your own community. Find out more at goodwill.org. Hey you, it's Baratunde, host of the podcast you're listening to right now. When I was a kid, my mom told me to come up with a system we could live under after democracy had failed. Yeah, my mom was intense. I haven't finished that assignment, but I did make a podcast. It's called How to Citizen with Baratunde. It reimagines citizen as a verb and reminds us how to wield our collective power. Find seasons one and two in whatever podcast app you're using right now. And season three, all about tech, drops in October 2021. Learn more at howtocitizen.com. Community colleges are the 
most inclusive of all of higher education, right? We are that great open door that is inclusive, low barriers to entry, can come full-time or part-time, and we're going to meet you where you are. As president of Ivy Tech Community College, Sue Elsperman considers herself privileged to serve the Indiana community. She's unwavering in her pursuit of a fair and equitable education system for all, meeting students where they are and providing them with the services and support needed to achieve their higher education goals. So at Ivy Tech, we serve such a wide range of students. Let me talk about who some of those students are in high school. We will see those students as early as 14 or 15 years old. We serve over 60,000 students a year in dual credit in these early college programs, as well as students who think they're going to want to go into the workplace after high school. And they will go in our career and technical education programs here on our campuses, 19 campuses across Indiana. We will have thousands of traditional age students who will come full-time or part-time, making a four-year degree affordable and will transfer to a four-year program. And of those traditional age students, some of our programs include things like an accelerated associate degree. So we call that ASAP. They will receive an associate degree in one year. I remember the story of two twins. One got into Ball State in education. The other twin came to Ivy Tech because she wasn't accepted into their school of education. She went through the accelerated program in one year for about half the dollars and then returned to Ball State to be a year ahead of her sister. So those are some of the hidden gems that you find at a community college. But the majority of our students, almost 75% are part-time working adults. Many are low-income, students of color, first generation, and they come to us with the hope that they can succeed. And so closing the opportunity gap and ensuring equitable access to education is top priority, I can say for all community colleges, but certainly for Ivy Tech. Community colleges are the most affordable higher education institution in the country. Less than $150 a credit hour. So think about that, $450 for a course. $4,000 a year to be a full-time student. That's hard to fathom when you compare the cost of traditional higher education, public or private. In community colleges, our students are strapped. Most of them are on some kind of federal financial aid, but they're also independent students trying to take care of families. And by the time they pay their tuition, even at $150 a credit hour, there's nothing left to pay for their books. I remember in my first year here traveling to Gary, Indiana, one of our accelerated associate degree ASAP classes, which means the students were taking twice the credit hours. They aren't supposed to work when they're in ASAP because it's more than 40 hours a week in the classroom. And yet these students were working 30 hours a week. And because they couldn't afford their books, they were sharing them. So can you imagine going to school taking twice the credit hours of a full-time student, working 30 hours, and now sharing a book. So from that day on, I had to figure out how could we include the cost of books and course materials into tuition. And this year, we accomplished it. 
And so being able to meet our students where they are, eliminate ever more barriers, and allow them to do the part they need to do, which is learning, but take all those other barriers out of their way. Things like emergency funds. We had an agreement with Uber to help ensure that students could get here and back. We're working with our state to provide childcare vouchers for students because they need that drop-in care. They don't need all day, but they need that ability to come in. And our single parents clearly have the most challenge of being here. So about three years ago, pre-pandemic, we started working with the Education Design Lab on a program for single moms. And we began conceptualizing if we could create a modality that allowed some freedom for that parent on the night when their child is sick or if their work schedule changed, what could we do? And so we began to conceptualize this model we called Learn Anywhere. The parent could come in person if they could. They could be remote like Zoom, or they could take the class asynchronously. Now, interestingly, we conceptualized that all right before the pandemic. We were getting ready to pilot. The pandemic hit, and then we realized, oh, everyone could benefit by Learn Anywhere. And so as a college, we stood up hundreds of sections of Learn Anywhere last fall. And now as we go into this year, more than 10% of our offerings are in a Learn Anywhere modality. And it is truly to the credit of our innovative faculty who understand how important it is to meet students where they are. We really want every student to know that they can come to Ivy Tech. So that can be that high school dropout who got their GED and now wants to come back, that single parent, that student of color, first generation, that low-income student. It could be the person who was incarcerated. Community colleges have learned to adapt to that broad range of human needs. So Ivy Tech has a really important mission to the state of Indiana as we are Indiana's workforce engine. We are the community college system for the entire state. And so our big vision is 50,000 associate degrees, certificates, and high quality certifications. And we define those high quality certifications as those that a graduate will earn above median wage upon graduation. In order to reach that big goal by 2025, we can't do it alone. So we lean into technology. We are using the best technology tools we can to offer online training, to provide the best lab settings, to enable our students to get the best experience. But in addition to all of that, we have to have partnerships with every sector of industry. So, for instance, we stood up something we call Achieve Your Degree, which began with one of our banks in southern Indiana, Old National Bank, who said, we want to help our workers, our employees continue to skill up, but we knew that tuition reimbursement doesn't work. If you're an entry-level employee, you don't have $1,000 to pay out a front of tuition. 
So they understood that we needed to flip the model where the employer pays the tuition at the end of the term. We work together to decide what degrees and credentials that company may want to offer that they know they need additional IT professionals or accounting professionals or whatever those areas that they want filled so that it is truly wraparound within the company for the employee and the employee never pays out of pocket. So that turned into a statewide program that is co-marketed with our Indiana Chamber of Commerce. We have over 250 companies statewide who use that Achieve Your Degree model. So what a beautiful partnership that has been, again, meeting that adult worker where they are. But we also have partnerships with our Indiana Department of Corrections. Think about the thousands of incarcerated individuals who are going to come out and without a meaningful credential will be forced into a minimum wage job. So we've come alongside the Department of Corrections and we are offering certificates and certifications of high value, which will allow those graduates of ours, those who are ex-offenders, to come out and truly have a second chance at a good career, one that will be able to provide for their families and give them something to really hold their head up in their community. We want to put more community in community college. We want to be integral to every community in which we serve. Clearly, when we think about force multipliers, it is in our partnering. It is in being open to partnering with anyone and everyone from our industry partners to our four-year partners, to our K-12 partners, to our Department of Corrections partners, to our nonprofit partners. It is in those partnerships that we discover ways we can work so much better in benefit of the student. It's not harder. It makes it easier. It's often cheaper. It's better. And they're longer-term results because we don't depend on just one. If one of us has difficulties, there are seven other partners who can step in and help fill that void. And I think in times of challenges, we learn that It is in those friends, those relationships we create together, we innovate together. And as we do that together, we discover ever better ways of serving one another. I would always encourage people who want to be involved to get out there and just offer yourself. That may be in your elementary school or high school. It may be offering that in a nonprofit, be it a Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts, through your church to offer your gifts and talents. For me, that was my problem-solving skills and bringing groups together and coming up with creative solutions. But I think each of us have those gifts and talents that we, we know we have them and we enjoy using them. So putting them out there into the public square And if there's anything we need more in the world, it's good people who will put themselves in public service for the right reasons to help their community, state, and nation.
I admit I'm impressed that these institutions, which have been around for so long, have modeled how to adapt to the changing environment, to the changing economy. And they're working hard to help the people they serve do the same. For Goodwill, this has meant leaning on its 156 local operations and the knowledge that they have of their community needs, then building on that with others in efforts like the Rising Together Coalition. As Ani Crawley said, the goal isn't to give away fish, but teach people how. Now, community is where all this happens, or doesn't. So, of course, the president of Ivy Tech Community College, Sue Elsperman, is in a perfect position to help that already inclusive institution do even more. Offering flexible Learn Anywhere courses, first to moms, then to all students, is the sort of evolution we should all embrace. And creatively partnering with everyone from the Chamber of Commerce to the Department of Corrections is the sort of broad-based coalition we all need. Collaboration is the only way to take on challenges as big as workforce development. And doing it together can work a lot better than going it alone. I especially like what Sue said about partners being able to help each other out, pick up the slack if one slips or struggles in a certain area. Collaboration is an asset, not a liability. As for what you and I can do to help our communities, both Ani and Sue shared the same advice independently. Figure out what we're good at and offer those skills right where we live and work. I'll see you out there helping out. And I'll see you next time on Force Multiplier. Do you want to dig in more on today's guests and the work they're doing? Or maybe you want to understand what action you can take in your community. Either way, go to salesforce.org slash force multiplier. That's one word, force multiplier. Force Multiplier is a production of iHeartRadio and Salesforce.org, hosted by me, Baratunde Thurston. It's executive produced by Elizabeth Stewart, produced by Yvonne Sheehan, and engineered, edited, and mixed by James Foster. Join us next time for more stories of how we can change the world one relationship at a time. Listen to Force Multiplier on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 